Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Lay Film. I'm your co-host, Richard Lay, and here with me today are... Kevin Carpio. Tyler Cunningham. Patrick. And today we are going to do a review um, of Dogville, a 2003 drama directed and written by Lars von Trier. And is it about a mysterious woman named Grace who is in seek of refuge in a small town called Dogville after being pursued by criminal gangsters? This is the sad tale of the township of Dogville. Dogville was in the Rocky Mountains in the U.S. of A. Up here, where the road came to its definitive end near the entrance to the old abandoned silver mine. The residents of Dogville were good, honest folks, and they liked their township. And while a sentimental soul from the East Coast had once dubbed their main street Elm Street, though no elm had ever cast its shadow in Dogville, they saw no reason to change anything. Most of the buildings were pretty wretched. More like shacks, frankly. So, Patrick, you chose this film. Um, tell us why you chose it and what you thought. Uh, it, it dawned on me that I hadn't seen a Von Trier film and I got a degree and all that stuff, so it was a little crazy. So I, I just looked at the trailers, I think. And uh, something about Dogville really jumped out to me. The trailer is really sweet. That Kidman, as well as as, as the, uh, obviously, the, sh the scene show, the stage, and all the design of the film, which I really got my attention. It's on a whim. I just got a copy, and I'd been sitting on it until we watched it for the podcast. Yeah. Yeah, I think the, yeah, I forgot to mention that the movie is, like, filmed on, like, a soundstage, right? Or, like, a, it's almost theatrical in the way that they filmed it. So locations, they don't shoot on actual locations, they shoot on a soundstage. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, yeah I love the, uh, the very, the stages I like. It's literally drawn. There's no walls except for one or two decorative walls. Mm -hmm. And instead, the, it's like a chalk outline. Yeah, I want to say, and everything's labeled: the bushes, mm -hmm. the road, the houses, the bench, the tree, the mine. I just yeah, it's very aesthetically pleasing. Yeah, it was super like simple looking, and it was like my OCD was satisfied. By the <laughs> 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 like, Ooh, look at these yeah. clean layouts! Like nice. They have like that design. one. Uh, I forget the uh, their names. Uh, the the big door though, like right in the middle of Elm Street. Mm -hmm. That the uh, I forget her name. I need to cast. Oh yeah, um, this is a, this is a good movie to have the map pulled up. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. is it Vera? Or I think it's Vera. Or? Yeah, that's where she gets like the the trinkets. Oh no, that's the uh, Vera's the mother. Of yeah, the family Vera's the mother. Right, right. It's the one with like the the young girl who, Tom. Crushes on. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. It's and played by Chloe Seven Seven U, right? Yeah. She's the one who's always like, "Stop looking at my skirt." Yeah. But even though yes. she kind of likes it. Yeah. Like she complained but, about it until yeah. her his eyes were off her. Yeah. Gosh. The one I forget the family name, but you know the characters' names. They they do a glass polish polishing shop. Mm -hmm. I think it's a couple a couple doors in the film. Sometimes they do take yeah. the time to do the motions of opening the door and other times they yeah. don't yeah they do I think it's because it's a small town so 
I don't know, everyone knows each other and, you know, there are shops and buildings and stuff, but they, yeah, sometimes they do open doors and I'm like, I forget that they have to imagine that a door is there yeah. and you yeah. can hear like the sounds of the door clicking open. <laughs> yeah, even like the footsteps too, yeah. like even though there's hard, except for like the snow that eventually appears, there's nothing that covers the, the actual floor of the space. And, but you hear like this gravelly, like this, like footstep, like leather shoes and like the dirt. And I, I was like, yeah, yeah, I can perfectly imagine that. Yeah. I wanted to ask you guys about this because uh, My Dinner with Andre was the first film that really hit me with this. It's a film where it challenges your imagination. That's the, yeah. whole, that's the whole like task of the film. And like quickly in Dogville, I was imagining everything that was missing or just supplemental. I can imagine the little rock valley that the town's located in. Mm -hmm. I can imagine the gorgeous view, even though we never see it. And it's just, right. yeah, there's so many small things that contributed to it, like the uh, drilling of the penitentiary floor. There's just mm -hmm. stuff like that that makes the whole, like, that echoing drill just creates a whole valley right. in your mind that you can see on the horizon of the small town. Yeah, or, like, when they're looking down, like, any time a car's coming up, they're like, oh, we can see cars way down in the valley. Mm -hmm. It's like uh, it's like reading a book, kind of, you know. Yeah. Like you just pick, you have to picture it yourself. And in, in the end, I did. I love this film. It's like top ten for sure because I I have a deep affection for like the Americana Stein Steinbeck literature type stuff. Mark Twain. It's very small town American Depression era. Even though they yeah. do they never they never call it the Depression, but they hint at the hard times. It's a combination of that, which is a sweet spot. Sweet Memory, my favorite genres of literature, as well as just full Joseph Conrad, Heart of Darkness stuff that I don't want to get into yet. It, I don't, it kind of reminded me of like a Western almost in some ways, because I couldn't tell uh, what exactly the time period was, but in some aspects it reminded me of a Western. I'm like, dang, I'm trying to pinpoint what this is, because it's hard to tell because you can't see... Um, the actual setting or like what their houses look like. I mean, you can see the vehicles, but you can't see the dog. So I'm just like, okay, so uh, it would be funny if they had like invisible vehicles. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, just walking with their hands out like they're holding yeah. wheels. Yeah. Mermaid man. Yeah. I just wondered, like, why they chose to actually have to actually have motor vehicles, but then like not have a dog. <laughs> well, the dog. Well, yeah, yeah, we'll get to it. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. they did choose for each location. They did choose specific things as well to bring material. Mm -hmm. Like the church has what part of the wall as well as the bell and the spire. Yeah, right, right. The shrine. The mine has the support beams. I love that was my favorite one out of all of them. The like rings. just the way that they designed that specific area. The uh, general store type deal only has the window sill, I think. And then the little china figurines. Yes, yes, yes. And like yeah, each thing had some like I think the family that runs the orchard only has the bedroom. There were six beds or three beds on top of each other. Oh, and then the giant chalkboard. Yes, yes, mm -hmm. the massive bunk bed and the chalkboard. Right. The set design and all that, the artistic direction of it all, they still put, like, just the props they choose to show you helps mm -hmm. build the character, like the doctor, Thomas Edison. He has a medicine cabinet, what, a chair, and then a fancy, like, old American desk, all wood. 
Like, okay, this is like the intelligence literature. And then, the, yeah, the rural farmers is just a bed for their seven kids and a chalkboard to teach them. I love this movie. I think Kidman, Kidman's performance in it only solidifies my deep respect and admiration for her as an actress. Or just just in her performance and her, like, craft. Like, she's just so... She can just immerse herself in a role, and I just completely believe her. Like, it's not like one of those instances where you're like, oh, uh, here's so-and-so, and you're like, you watch a movie, and then they're in it, you're like, oh, there's that person. Like, I don't view, even view it as, like, being distracted, being like, oh, that's Nicole Kidman. It's like, no, she's just, like, so great at, like, embodying these roles and just brings it to a whole nother level. And everyone else in the script, too, just completely matched her, like, on that level. And I feel like that's what makes it so... I'm so willing to suspend my disbelief in it. Like, I love the little, small, little pocket of, of the world that we're being shown. And just the way it was all done, it's, it almost made it all the more believable in the way that it was executed, especially with the art design. Like, I feel like nothing you can ever do in green screen could compare to that. Because it's like the imagination is so much more powerful than what we can actually be shown. I mean, at least right now. And this movie just perfectly, like, catapults itself up to the stars. And I just love the story. It was incredible. Excellent recommendation. I loved it. I'm glad it was good. I'm glad I, yeah, I'm glad it was good. And, yeah, I agree with the, uh, Kidman gives the character so much depth. Grace, her character. She makes the movie in every sense of the word. And, uh... Again, to the lit literature reference, there's just some... Her performance and her character, like, it subverts so much, but you feel she... By the end, you feel a connection to her of, like, you are reading her internal thoughts. You're, there's a narrator as well, but somehow you have a deep connection you feel with Kidman's character, Grace. And it's... She stands out so strongly, especially against the townspeople around her are more one-dimensional, especially the less prominent characters in the town, like Bill, for example. Yeah, it had a pretty huge ensemble. Mm -hmm. I think that they had uh, casted a lot of really good actors um, to play these roles, like uh, Paul Bettany as Tom Edison, the writer who um, takes in Grace when she comes into town and convinces the townspeople to give her two weeks, right, to decide whether or not they want to keep her. And it all, all has to be uh, unanimous. So I thought that that was a really good introduction as to how we're going to see that play out and if she's going to be able to stay in Dogville um, because she is being hunted down by criminals, and we don't know why. And that's the whole dilemma of the story. Um, there's, uh, I believe, William Hurt. I forgot uh, what his character's name is, um, but he's he plays the man who uh, plucks apples. Um, 
that's his like his role, right? Is to like gather oh, apple. Chuck, right? Yeah, yeah. Chuck. Um, yeah, he's also one of those other characters that um, we get to see. Um, yeah, I think for me, like, I wished that as an ensemble, it had would have fleshed out other characters some more because I didn't really get to see um, everyone's perspective. Especially it being a, a three-hour runtime, I thought that a lot of the focus was on very specific characters. So I didn't really get to see um, that balance of like, you know, who empathizes more with Grace and who doesn't. Um, yeah, I thought it kind of just sped the process, and I didn't really get to see like, you know, all the the remnants of that happening. So. I think you touched on something really good with Chuck, especially because no. uh, that we're framed with the story of Nicole Kidman's character Grace is escaping gangsters. She takes refuge in the town, while at the same time Thomas Edison Jr., the writer, who agrees to hire her first, has a proposition on the morality of the town because he's a self-described philosopher. He concerns himself with ethics, morality, and I guess he's been given lectures before we enter the film, about the state of the town's moral situation. And he sees Kidman's arrival as a test, and that's what the movie's like framed a bit against, of her two-week test in the town as a test of the town's acceptance as well as moral character. And one of the most resilient characters to Kidman at the start is Chuck, mm-hmm. when he reveals that, aside from, unlike the rest of the town, he himself is also from one of the bigger cities, and he's aware of the evil nature of man and all the other stuff. Or his character seemed like he had more depth. Or by the end, he becomes really one-track-minded. And we don't really see his transition from that to the other thing. Especially when he claims to be aware that Thomas Edison Jr. is correct. That the, town's, the town is morally bankrupt like all mm-hmm. towns and cities are. But then we jump and he's yeah very one-track-minded. An antagonistic figure, if anything. So yeah, I see your point there. With yeah, yeah, like we don't. Aside from that one window of Chuck's personal character with his background, we don't get any more depth to him. Yeah, because I think that really mostly is the driving force of like the film's themes and narrative. And um, I mean, yeah, she does have like. Um, some conflict with like uh, Vera, the um, the mm-hmm. mother who whose child is, um, I guess like she's oh yeah she starts to uh, teach the kids right, mm-hmm. and yes. so then she also has like issues with how she's teaching them or like how she's teaching her child and like how to discipline her child. I mean I like that aspect, but um, I don't know. I just there's some characters there that I remember, and I'm just like, I don't even remember like what your part or what your stake in this is, you know? Yeah. Like I don't really, I didn't really get to feel like I understood, um, like Bill, right? Um, there was Bill. Um, yeah, he's like mostly a joke character, it seems. Yeah. Compared to like Mr. McKay. Mm-hmm. We don't. Yeah, we don't explicitly know what he did before he arrived at the town and went blind, but we do have a great scene with him. Great. Right. And he, yeah, set design also contributes to his character and gives him depth, but we don't get to know him fully or him any more than the irony, maybe, of his position. Yeah. 
Well, I feel like, uh, like, I remember one thing that stuck out to me is when Thomas Edison Jr. first meets Grace and he's like talking about every person in the town and he just basically points out like every, he points out Bill's flaws or whatever because he was the the mechanic, right? Uh, Bill's the uh, engineering student who's oh, yeah, not that bright. Yeah. Oh, please check. One of these checkers. Yes, yes. yes. Point, yeah, like for him, he's like, Bill's, you know, he's stupid. He can't, he'll never be an engineer. I forget the other guy's name, the mechanic, how he always talks about how Is that he's. Ben? Yes, yes. How he's ashamed of going to the whorehouse. Um, all these characters, it's only like, you only get to know like the bad things about them. And there's no, you're right, there's no. You don't get to learn anything about them other than what, you know, like it's like a small, that's like how it is in small town America. Mm-hmm. Like you got the Joneses down the street. Oh, they, they only got a $30,000 Acura, you know? <laughs> right. That's a really good point. Yeah. I think, I think the film only focuses on certain characters because that is what the, the theme or like, I guess the, the moral of the story that they're trying to hit on, you know? Because Chuck is talking about how, yeah, man is, he said man is evil, right? Yeah, he's aware of what it's like in the city. So, like, if, you know, man is going to succumb to human nature, and if if it's because it's human nature, is that right? Or, like, can you judge that, you know? And Grace is the person who is um, the least judgmental. Um, I think she is there to... um, represent our empathy for these people um i guess why kidman did such a great job playing her and i mean it's stated in her name (laughs) she came there as grace she's supposed to be there to fix this town you know she did help this town in her time there uh i won't get to any spoilers specifically about that but she is there to um i guess uh mark does a balance into like their depressive lives because they don't really have anything going on you know it's talked about how like <laughs> like she asks uh, who needs help and no one really has anything needed to be done but um she can only add on to that yeah so. but i guess with that being said should we do our rating for the film before we get into spoilers um for me, I would give the film um, a 3.5 out of 5 stars. I think that it was a really, I thought it was a pretty solid film. It was pretty good. Um, I guess my only qualms with it is just that um, for a three-hour film, I didn't feel the ensemble aspect of it. I only really got to know Grace and then maybe a couple of other characters like Tom Edison, um, Chuck. Um, even though I really despised Tom Edison's character, I like. I was really aggravated by him. I understood his dilemma, but like, oh god, I won't get into any more of that. But there's just some characters that I just really despised, and I think that Lars von Trier did a really good job of, uh, re- like, fully realizing them as like these flawed human beings. Um, yeah, but but besides that, I love the ambition. Um, just how it's it, completely original. I think that it's really understated to say that it's really like original, like it's so minimalistic 
and simple and just ambitious at the same time. Um, yeah. I think I'd give this movie a four and a half out of five. Purely for the fact that it allowed me to focus on the thing that matters most, which is the story. And every single aspect of this movie seemed so inventive. And I'm trying not to come at it as like somebody who's like studied movies and like film and like cinema and whatnot. Like I'm trying to come at it from just a pure storytelling point of view. And I think that the less you give the viewer to actually focus on and like have to interpret and, you know, construct in their own mind to fully make sense of it all, I think the better. Because when you're trying to express every single thing that's going on with not just this one character, but this entire small community, it's just all the more impactful if you can hmm, execute it in, in the proper way. And I think that everyone who was involved with this project, you can just feel the, uh, the attention to detail that they put into it to make it all the more cohesive in the end. And just the themes that they brought up as well, like, I mean, even in, I remember one of the first things they say is, um, or Thomas Edison Jr. is talking about, like, he's giving a sermon on um, how a lot of people are incapable of receiving, just, and whether it's, like, gifts or, like, anything, it's, it's like, they're fully exploring a human concept that is so universal. Because it's like, if you give somebody something and then they don't want to receive it, eventually if you keep giving to them, there's the possibility that they might take you for granted and they might try to abuse you for how much you give them. And this movie does an incredible job of exploring almost every single pocket of that theme. And then some. Like, it gives you so much more to think about even in terms of like little character dynamics and seeing how people interact at first only to see them like warm up and then eventually it becomes how it's supposed to truly be, you know, with one person not having a mask up as opposed to another. And I think that that's the reason why I have to give it a four and a half. And I'm so glad that this was the first Lars von Trier movie that I've seen. So I, I, you haven't seen any other Von Trier movies? No, I, I tried to watch um, the, the House That Jack Once Built. Mm -hmm. I think that's what it's called. Um, but for some reason or another, I think that I got like 15 minutes into it and then had to do something else. And I'd heard about um, Antichrist when it first came out, about the, like a lot of the infamous scenes. And of course, Willem Dafoe being in it and whatnot. Um, but, and then hearing about, like, Melancholia and Nymphomaniac and, like, a few of the other ones, I just felt that I had to be on, like, a... I had to watch a lot more movies to fully appreciate the... Even just some of the filmmaking concepts that they... That he as a filmmaker explores. 
And I know that he has his, like, fair set of problems and issues. Um, but still, like, and then the artistic aspect, I can appreciate what he's going for. Especially with um, the dog, is it called the Dogma 95 uh, set of rules that they're doing? Yeah. I think that that's so cool to be able to do that as a creator in general. Because it's all it's doing is making you work within boundaries and to be more creative as a whole because of it. But yeah, Pat, this was an excellent recommendation. Excellent recommendation. Thank you. I'm glad I watched it too. Um, I won't lie, like, when I got done watching it, I was just like, man, like, I wasn't a huge fan, but after, like, sitting on it for, like, a little bit, like, it sticks with you. Like, that movie, it, it stuck with me. It's kind of like, it was like, I just kept thinking about it, like, the, like, because I watched it last night, like, the whole day. Like, just like, so I was thinking, I was like, man, I'm probably going to score this, like, two and a half <laughs> when I was watching it. And then I'm like, now after like sitting on it and then like talking about it, like I would give it a four for sure. Um, like the, yeah, the simplicity of it, the whole set design and the performances were just amazing. And it, like we were talking earlier, just how you can, just like imagining it yourself rather than a set being built or even an on location site. Um, it's cool to let your imagination kind of run like that. But I did think it was a little too long for me. Um, it definitely, like, I had to, like, step away for a second, and, like, because I knew I was getting out of it. Like, I, I was like, I'm, I'm not in the right mindset. Um, but, yeah, uh, I thought it was, yeah, Nicole Kidman was amazing. Um, it was, yeah, it was, it was good, too. It just, it was not what I expected at all. I had no idea what what it was going to be about so and then the ending of course it's a good payoff and ending great payoff and ending <laughs> worth the three hour watch <laughs> I'm going to have to give it a five out of five like I said it's in my top ten probably uh, even though it's always rotating and uh, just everything about this really resonated with me to a surprising level like the American the Americana nature, the literature references, the philosophy of it, what it was exploring, the visual experiment it was doing, the swelling music and the direction, even though this scene, the scenes where the music swells and the emotional reactions happens, it's very sparse. There's not much on the screen, there's very little even, but it just still resonates with you. And just all that stuff landed with me. And like Tyler said, like, there's like a crushing feeling after you watch the movie, but like, that's really good. <laughs> it's a really good crushing feeling. And yeah, and yeah, it's, it's a crushing feeling. And then the ending, there's a payoff, but even that, like on the second or third rethinking of the yeah, context like, of it. Maybe I shouldn't feel. No, no, yeah. Like it, yeah, it's, it's like one that keep, it constantly piles on. Yeah. It's like a direct challenge to the individual, I feel. And that's why I just have nothing but respect for the film. Yeah, so there goes our scores for the film. Um, so if you've got to this point and you haven't seen the film, definitely see the movie. You can rent it right on Amazon and YouTube. Um, it's definitely worth a watch. It's um, very, like I said, very original um, and ambitious in its concept. 
Um, so yeah, that's uh, Dogville. So now we're going to dive into spoiler territory. Yesterday I was walking in Chuck's apple trees. If you go right up to the edge of the cliff, you just manage to peer around Ben's garage and you get a view of your house from the side facing the gorge. Well. I didn't realize that there was windows behind there. Huge windows. That must be a wonderful view. Would you mind if I opened them? the good stuff so yeah that ending right everyone wants to talk about the ending <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that I'm glad she made the right decision I think I couldn't think of an, any better ending for this film um, especially with uh, what it was trying to preach from the start about the dilemma that the town had about keeping her there and um, yeah it was really harsh i, I feel think. like it's really rare to like getting it get an ending like that especially in like an experimental like ambitious film like that to get it give people the ending that everyone wanted i feel like i mean i don't know and that's the end like w once it, it started like it takes that turn mm -hmm. and they, everyone just starts taking advantage of grace mm -hmm. and it just gets super heavy at that point i was like Man, like, mm. screw these people. <laughs> True, but a big thing for me was recontexting re the ending, especially the discussion with her father, who's revealed to be, like, the gangster mob boss that arrives with his goons who are looking for Grace. It's revealed that she's actually the daughter of the gangster. She was in a, she was in an explicit threat of, like, she wasn't a runaway witness or anything like that. It was going to be silenced reveal that she's actually from a position of power and then he frames it with her he frames in a very he frames the moral dilemma of the town of dogville to be as something to be solved in a very almost hitler-esque authoritarian resolution of like we are the leaders or we are the ones capable we can acknowledge that this is the underlying nature of man and uh they're essentially dogs. It's Dogville. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and how she had an imposing view to that, though, at first. Yes. Because she believes in uh, forgiveness and empathy and that, you know, some people, it's human nature, what they did. She's, yeah, she's the complete, she's like saintlyhood almost. She's, she, she is a victim of unbelievable abuses. And those even dehumanizing abuses. And it's, it's, it's a hard watch, especially when those scenes happen. And that's where the uh, set design with the no walls, there was a very graphic 
scene. Yes. And it's just such a shock yeah. value. And she, mm-hmm. yeah, it's like. You just see that, everyone going about their lives. That's yes. when Abby walked out the room. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> she's like, I'm done. <laughs> yes. Uh, Grace's, Grace, Grace is, uh, she's been propositioned for physical intimacy by Chuck in a very roundabout way, which that was my big gripe with his character was it was contrary to the early he's like a bit of a hard ass like I'm from the city I know everyone's evil even us and Doggle are evil don't deceive yourself and then the next significant exchange he has with Grace in the film is that whatever something about her he has uh, become infatuated with her and he's he's pursuing he wants her to respect him he's structured he's framing as that but he's, he's he's clearly looking to sexually abuse her or exploit her because I don't know if she's a source of escapism from the city I think that's exactly what she represents to everyone in the movie yeah no yeah she's very much like the like her name again to Grace and all that she's 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 a saintly figure which come it's a good part that comes to the end but yeah Chuck is I think he's raping her essentially and in the set design there's no no walls so yeah, you see the ladies in the journal store, and in the background there's a rape go- ongoing, and I think it. I think it also, I think that serves to visually represent like in a town of no more than twenty people. If something like that was to happen, you'd be aware of it, mm-hmm. but then there's a get everyone's still turning a blind eye, very much so to it. Mm-hmm. But we still have to have an asterisk, way saintly figure, right? Because we don't really know um, her background beyond that. Like we find out that she's a uh, this yeah this gangster's daughter, but and also like involved in like bank robbings. Yeah, so I think my issue with the movie is that no one ever questions like her background or her past, or why all these posters uh, were coming up, and then they're changing narratives about what's going on. First, she's missing, now she's wanted, and then so the town. To me, I think the issue with the story is that why the town. Um, yeah, why didn't they question that, or why didn't why wasn't there a meeting about her telling them why this is even happening? They just kind of congregate and then discuss whether they just want her to stay or not. I think and, I think it was explained enough. Well, it's, like it's implied that whoever's after her, which is a vague mob figure, mm-hmm. has their hands in the police force as well. Right, right, right. Yeah, and they. But then, like, they're still not going to find out more about her or, like, why this is even happening or, like, they, they didn't want any more context beyond that, I guess. But, I mean, yes, that's understandable yeah. for sure. Um, but still, wouldn't you want to know, like, who this figure is that lives among in your community? Especially, I mean, there wasn't even that many people there that lived there. Um, yeah, that was kind of hard for me to get by at first, but... Um, yeah, you do feel for her, though. Despite her background or who she is, um, no one deserves to get treated. Uh, like how she was treated, like they cut her wages in half, but then um, increased her work. Um, she, they increased... I mean, but then she said that she didn't have a job before that, right? It wasn't that mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, what? She never had a job there, yeah, okay. well, no one needed anyone. Help. No one needed any help in dog though. Even though yeah. she was doing stuff around the clock, essentially helping. Right. Yeah. Dang. Um, I feel like it's a. 
like American capitalism and she's like she's that material item like at the beginning they all she's trying to get work and everyone she's like do you need me help need me work nobody needs it like you know you don't need an iPhone or whatever you don't need these things but then once you get one you're like oh screw it I'll, I'll use it and then someone else sees it and they're like oh I could use that too even though you technically don't need it and then it's just it gets cycled and not abused, but you know what I'm saying. It's just like I think it it's it's a comparison to to how we treat you know regular material things that we don't necessarily need, but since everybody else is using it or has one, then you need it too. Yeah, I think that was very well stated. I think that uh, we developed more of that idea when um, she tries to escape and she gets, uh, I believe it was Ben, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. The freight, to, the whole freight business. Yeah, yeah. And he always mentions how like, well, I don't get paid enough <laughs> to export or uh, to transport um, dangerous goods. He, he calls her dangerous goods. I mean, come on, man. <laughs> I don't know, just the way he was framed, yes, I understood what he was um, saying, but it's just like, dang, this is a woman that, like, has helped build your community, and you're still going to treat her as, like, a dangerous good or something to transport, and, like, he's not going to, I mean, it turns out he doesn't help her, he just took her on a freaking joyride for God knows how many hours, and then just for her to find out that um, she's back in hell, basically, that was pretty... Uh, after having sex with was her, it too. Oh, oh, right, right. right. Yeah, yeah. After, after he forces her, himself on yeah. her. Just like everyone else in the movie. Like, right. Honestly. I thought that that whole scene was filmed, was done really well. Mm-hmm. Just like the, the whole long take, or seemingly long take, of her laying in the truck mm-hmm. full of uh, apples. Um, like that was a silk sheet we could see mm-hmm. through it. It was really well done, I think. Um, but yeah, just completely upsetting. Uh, but again, that was done so that we can build up for the eventual payoff in like the last five to ten minutes of the film. So I think that, that yeah, that definitely added feel to the fire for what we were going to get. Yeah, that's why I was saying like, I don't know, anytime I watch like that, I get it like that it, you know, like, it happens and all that stuff, but any like it's just like frustrating to watch, you know. So it immediately makes you hate whoever is doing that to somebody. So that's why I was saying I'm just like, oh yeah, I want these people to like, I want them to all die, or any not all of them, but like Chuck yeah. and actually I think every male in the, in the yeah. town yeah. ended up even Tom her. Edison Jr. Like even even though he didn't physically rape her, like he. He completely abused her more than anyone else. Yeah. Emotionally, she, he's the most manipulative. Well, yeah, and he was mm-hmm. also trying to gaslight her and saying, well, hey, well, in the very, like, in the early portions of the film, he was telling her how he needed to show his love, I guess, in a sense. Like, yeah. um, he always hinted that he wanted to have um, 
uh, physical intimacy with her. And she was saying it has to be done in the right light. And when they're both free and away, then they can do that. But he's saying, yeah, I understand. But, I mean, he obviously couldn't take it. Yeah. Um, He almost felt like a sense of shame because of it. Right. And I think that I really despised him because of that. Mm -hmm. Because he wasn't being true to what he really wanted or what his needs were. And I think that for him to um, hide that from her... Yeah. He even tried to, like, yeah. when he tried to convince everybody to let her stay towards the end of the film, and he's trying to get intimate with her, he, like, tries to play, like, the victim, or, like, not the victim, but oh, he's yeah. like, I just put my neck out on the line for you, you just, you won't have sex with me? Right. And, like, by that point, I was like, all right, I'm... Yeah, that's He's the most hypocritical, because as, as Kidman's character, Grace, gets more and more abused by the community it really like with Ben and the freight business he keeps talking about every character essentially has some thin veil that they use to as like a it's like a, a thin veil of decency or humanity that they grasp onto freight business doesn't do this 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 whatever and then he goes down there and starts waxing about after he's transporting her out of the town after getting a large sum of ten dollars for the time. He crawls in the back of the truck and he says, oh, "Well, you're you're dangerous cargo, freight business, so I'm gonna rape you." And uh, this isn't rape because I'm just collecting whatever thing. I'm just collecting an additional tax because I'm a freight driver, and that's what you do in the business. I'm trying to think of the other concrete examples of like just oh Tom himself, Tom Jr. He's the biggest hypocrite because you he. His sermons are essentially about the issues of morality the town has, but then he's a by, he's a what's the word bystander to everything Grace endures, and towards the end he's just flat out internalizing and spinning it to himself or just to I mean, it's so absurd as where you see him he's just like you the other ones are guilty of being weak people you pride yourself on being a philosopher and you're aware of that this evil is capable. I expected him to have like an Al Pacino like rant moment in front of the town when the abuses mm-hmm. first started. I'm like, is he gonna set them straight? Are they gonna? Is someone gonna take the leap and call out the community and it, and then show it to themselves? Which Kidman her, which he kind of forces Kidman to do on her own as the victim, to which they they just refuse her. And yeah, it's just all this. Yeah, why do we treat her like this? Because she's because there's a piece of paper that says missing. And then there's a piece of paper that should have said she robbed the bank two weeks ago, even though she's been there for months. Well, that justifies their... Yeah, there's, there's just so many examples of self-justifications and the thin veil people use to disguise the horrible actions they take. And that's, I love that the film explored this. This movie reminded me of a book that I read recently called The Idiot. And it's about like what happens when you place like a perfect being onto the world as we know it it's like does the world fully embrace them and choose to like learn from this figure or do they consume them only to like fuel their own desires and this movie felt very in line with those themes especially in terms of grace's character and her story because it's like here she is like she shows up on a you know like in the middle of the night pretty much in this in the dead end of whatever corner of the world this town inhabits, only to be so hungry that she steals the bone from 
you know, with a little chunk of meat on it from Moses the dog, only to have Tom Edison Jr. find her. And here we have, like, this this savior-like figure in Tom Jr., and he only ends up being the biggest disappointment in the movie because he just sells out Grace every single time that he's able to. And it's it never gets easier to endure throughout the movie, too. Like, I, I wanted so much to believe in this character, just like Grace did. Only only to have him fail each time and time again. And he even comments on this throughout the movie. He's like, why do I always make the wrong decisions or the wrong choices? And Pat, it's like what you were saying, like, just in terms of, like, his ability to imbue himself as this philosopher-type character. He almost, like, enjoys the fact that here he's presented with a, with a moral dilemma well, I kind of know what it would feel like if I went with the right decision, but I don't really know what it would be like with the wrong decision, or morally wrong decision. But he lets himself explore that wrong decision just because of the risk factor of it all. And I remember the, the character that I was surprised with most was um, Tom Sr. Because here you have this doctor, this person who just cares for every member of the community, only to suspect Grace as the one to steal the $10 from his medicine cabinet, even though it was his own son that did it. That entire scene when Tom... I mean, when, um, when he went to Grace after, you know, she, she has that ridiculous contraption built for her oh, yeah. during the wake of this whole suspicion. Um, wait, what's his name? The engineer guy? Bill. Bill? Yeah. Yeah, so Bill ends up becoming so smart that he, you know, starts exploring different engineering concepts. Yeah. That he ends up devising this weird neck contraption with a bell mm -hmm. to put on Grace because she's under suspicion for stealing this $10. And after she, you know, we see the contraption being built and placed upon her, we get this little intimate moment between her and Tom Jr., and Grace is like, why did you let them think this? Like, why do you why do you let them think that I stole it when you're clearly the like you said you're you were gonna ask him to get the ten dollars for me to escape? And he's like, oh well, you know, I knew that I didn't want to uh, be at risk for him saying no, and so I just went ahead and stole it. He's like, yeah, but I had to let them think it was you. That way, they don't think that we're that close because if they think you and I are close. It just ruins any sort of chance of you escaping. And when he built up that rationality, <laughs> I, I think it was like what, how you mentioned earlier, Tyler. Um, I think it was at that exact same moment. I was like, fuck this yeah, guy. This guy fucking sucks. <laughs> he was just like an, I, he, he, uh, Paul Bettany, right? Yeah. yeah. He did great a great performance too because I was just like he was so annoying mm -hmm. just like the way he spoke yeah was so like annoying and just like gets under your skin towards like the end of the film oh yeah they're putting they're chaining people to like machinery to drag around town that's like okay it's time to bounce <laughs> the the test has failed if you have any love for this person you will free them and 
right? try to escape. But he clearly does. That was the against that, that was that Smith's talk. He just wanted thing. to have sex with her. I think mm-hmm. um, if he really loved her, he would either help her carry around her contraption or help set her free. You know. But he does that sometimes. He does occasionally help her. Like, let's say that after there's a scene where um, he brings her in to, like, have her speech. When she's done, he helps her drag the weight out of, yeah. the, of the ceremonial hall. And he's like, all right, later. Like, yeah, be on your he way. Should, he should be doing that 20... He should be doing that, like, all the time. Because he got <laughs> her into that situation. It was because of him that that had to happen. Because not only do they think that, like... Um, she is a, a manipulator. She like disciplines this woman's kid, or she spanks children. But they think she's a thief, and that she's this fugitive. You know, he could have helped offset some of those accusations, or even some of the um, accusations that she made. He sh- he should have backed her on that, because he was the one that um, convinced her. To do that, to have that congregation where she tell speaks of everyone's sin in front of everyone. Mm-hmm. And no one even believed it. So and he doesn't even back her on that. Yeah. So I think he's one of the worst characters there because he led her to her doom. And I love when I love Tom as well as the whole town's flip. Like Tom's flip is when he f- he figures his grace is doomed. And then he spins that into this innocent soul is doomed because of the prejudice or the just the evilness of the man or people, and this town's going to kill her, and this is going to prove my inadequacy as a uh, philosopher and deep thinker that I was uh, not able to stop this. Therefore, a solution is to call up the gang members he doesn't know anything about or why they're trying to kill Grace. It's like, I, I got to call them up, and we got to just... Give her back to them, and they'll be taken out of the town. She'll be taken away, and everything will go back to normal? Or just no one will know about my inadequacy? Well, it was after she, he lied to her about burning the, card the contact yeah. card. Yeah. So there's all around incompetence from him. Yeah, but then I also like the town's big flip the same time, where they've been, they've been treating her exploitively and horribly and humanely. And second, like, okay, now she has value again in the fact that the mobsters are going to show up and there's some kind of vague reward promised. They immediately give her the day off or two days off. Mm-hmm. And they are a lot more pleasant, even though she's still wearing that absurd dog collar bell contraption that she has to drag around town. And uh, that was one of the sweetest... Before you think about the context, like, have we really gone into deep details in the ending? No, yeah. should we just say it real quick? Yeah. Like well, the, I mean, yeah, we're in spoilers, so... Yeah. yeah, go for it. But yeah, the, like, the second, the second, like, the eight cards were said as the town's watching the hill, like, I was like, oh, this is gonna be... This is gonna be awesome. It's yeah. A, <laughs> I mean, it, it, took, it took quite a long time for the cars to come, though, because they were saying, like, the road was blocked off. Oh, yeah, by the trees. Of, yeah, and then, like, they were saying eight cars are coming through, and, like, yeah. eight hours later or something, and the cars finally get there. <laughs> but they say eight <laughs> they say eight cars and dudes step out with Tommy guns. I was yeah. like, all right, here we go. And then immediately Grace is That was Yeah, yeah you love to see it too. It was it, that was like I was like, 
the three hours is worth it. (laughs) The mobsters come in, they start shoving the townspeople around as they're putting on the hospitality act, and they find Grace with a dog collar and essentially like a mill wheel Mm -hmm. drag. she has to drag around. And they, they view the situation as absurdist as it is, even though they're supposed to be the thugs and the goons. Yeah. And yeah, they, they intimidate the town. They get the stuff off Grace. And she's immediately escorted to the boss's car. And then, yeah, I, the second they got out with guns, I knew that she was actually somehow related to the mob boss. And then it's revealed that her father mm-hmm. was the mob boss. And for whatever reason, it's almost like a comical family dynamic. Where, like they got an argument so severe he took like pot shots at her as she was running away. <laughs> where, like somehow it's like mystically or not it's so absurdist that you kind of believe it because then they sit there and have this whole rationale talk about authority, power, and the responsibility to check the evil that lies inside men's hearts or people's hearts. And then they they obviously use the city in front of them, Dogville, to like as an example of like look at this town here, look what evil they're capable of. Why don't Grace refuses to pass judgment on them because she empathizes with their position so much so that she forgives them of everything. And then she goes out and looks at the town once more and now from a new perspective of like she's given the power from her father. And she goes out and she sees the... She has fond memories of the small stuff in the, t- in the city like the gooseberry bushes and the delicious pies they make and then the beauty of nature. And she reaches into the village, she turns around and the moon bursts through the clouds and suddenly she sees every fault in the city as well as its people. And then she realizes that if she was in their position, she wouldn't forgive herself for what the smaller stuff they did to her. And then she does take a more, she returns to her father with an extreme view, a downright almost like authoritarian view. And we do get a rewarding scene where essentially the mobsters go door to door, like Gustavo style, like, handing out physical, not like execution style justice to this town that treated her so inhumanely. And you do get a feeling of catharsis surge. Like you do enjoy it the first time you watch it. It's like, no, yeah, there's, there's one of the six rapists of grace in this absurd town that kept up the facade of whatever they're trying to save, but their humanity, they threw that away a long time ago. And it's just, yeah. And then even grace herself reveals or even Grace herself calls one of the henchmen to her and says, like, Vera, the mother who resented Grace for her husband raping her, she viewed Grace as the object of desire or whatever that stole her husband away, and so she resented her for that. She said, yeah, kill her children first and make sure she watches and not doesn't cry, because when Vera found out about the rape of Grace by Chuck, she went and destroyed the porcelain figures she spent almost a summer saving up and buying from an overpriced local shop in the small well, town. But she found out before, before she found out that, uh, that he raped her, right? Did yeah, no, yeah. She, Once she did that because of the, uh, the, um, spanking. Yeah, the spanking. No, no. no she did that because, that it was because, um, the person who plays the organ, I forget her name. Yeah. Um, she saw her, in the vineyard and Chuck in, in orchard. the orchard oh, in the orchard yeah. as like in the early morning hours and she's like oh yeah you know that one spot where you can just see like this one little patch of the orchard well she was there and she saw you and Chuck there together yeah oh yeah yeah cause she, uh, Ch- uh, Chuck told her that she made advances on him yeah. even though it was the opposite he raped her yes um, 
so she went there to destroy the porcelain figures that she was saving up, right, to um, to leave town. She was going to use them to sell. I think she was going to sell them off. Her? It was just the uh, weren't they valuables? No, it's just the joy. Oh, it just, it just the, represents the the town. Just a manifestation of the hard work and the or the community of the town. Even though they, because they reference them as gaudy and yeah. ugly and overpriced, but they have an emotional weight beyond that. Yeah, right. just because of the pure dynamic between the two, that she was able to have some sort of interaction with this community mm-hmm. and impact their lives while also them impacting hers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that. Uh, we also forgot to mention that um, there was a narrator in this story. Mm-hmm. And I think that having the narrator in this film kind of adds like a, a fantastical moral tale to it. Oh, yes. um, yeah, whoever the narrator is did a boogie job because they had uh, really great lines. And it, yeah, it does make it seem like this fictitious fantasy tale. Like yeah. if Disney were to like do a movie and be like, no, we're not going to make this movie for kids. And we're going to make this, like, a really extreme moral tale. Um, yeah. I'm glad that Von Trier did it instead of Disney. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because we wouldn't get that ending that we would have gotten. It would have been all about forgiveness and, oh, it's humans are flawed, so you have to forgive them. But what she went through can... She, it's uh, unforgivable. It's unforgivable. And uh, at least at that time, it's unforgivable. Um, and her dad made her realize how arrogant she was because she wouldn't commit herself to the same, like, values that she holds. Like, she says she'll forgive them, but would she forgive herself for doing the same acts, you know? Um, that within itself could be seen as arrogant or hypocritical. Yeah, that's what turns her towards the... I think it's, a, I think it's an intentional allegory to, like, Nazi time complacency. Mm-hmm. Especially with the, the visuals and the goose. Because, yeah, we're seeing the whole town burn and the citizens be shot. But you do get, like, a feeling of catharsis. But then upon revisiting that in your mind after seeing the film and it's, the immediate gratification has gone, you reflect on the visuals and, like, oh, no, it's actually really horrible. Yeah. Like, there's literally an infant shot point blank by the goons. And then it, it, ca- it creates the dialogue in your own head of, like, okay, what's... Was that justice? Was that justifiable? Was that moral? Or what are my values in reflection of that? Yeah. And that's why I really, yeah. Such a good film. So I have a question for all of you. How did you feel about the episodic nature of it all? Where it would break in between chapter to chapter while also giving a summary of what was to come? Because it leans into spoilers mm-hmm. in each and every single chapter that's presented. Now... For me, I, when it comes to spoilers, I don't mind them because for me, even though I can, I'm, I'm already told what's going to happen in the end, it's like, okay, but what has to happen for point A to, point, to meet point B? It's like, I have no idea how they're going to do that. And even as arriving up to point B, it's like, okay, but really like this has to happen within the next few minutes like otherwise like what's gonna actually happen and i don't know it was just incredible to me but yeah i want to know your guys' opinions on it i want to say it contributes to the whole book feel of the film Mm -hmm. like yeah that's one that i do enjoy doing that with books where you'll see the title 
like uh, chapter three an unnamed guest and then you'll be reading the whole chapter like okay who's this guest how's this going to connect to what a b c and d and i really enjoy this film's because it's not yeah there are some spoilers but even then they're meta like the final one says and the film ends and it's just like a little bit of character like yeah i think dogville bears its teeth and all that stuff like, yeah it just it tees you up but the visuals and the scenes that follow carry are still really satisfying yeah i like i like i totally like that style. Like, i was gonna say the same thing like it felt like reading a book and I think it works because, yeah, just like, I forget. There was a couple where a few were like, I think it was like chapter six, one one was, it said, uh, man, I can't remember. I just remember reading it. I'm like, oh yeah, all right, this is going to be like, this is going to be a good little section right here. Yeah. Like it kind of gets you excited, you know? And I think for people who don't normally watch movies like these, it, it may help with, um, you know, keeping their viewership, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I, I agree with that. Um, I'm the kind of person that's more averse to, to spoilers. Like, I'm kind of more sensitive to it. But I think that with this film's concept, the whole, like, narration idea, like, storybook feel, um, like, the, the fantasy-like nature of it, um, I think that if people saw this on Netflix or something and it was told in those nine chapters, it, this could easily work as a three-hour, like, Netflix series or something. Um, yeah, so I think that it works. I think that the idea of every chapter kind of giving a little a tidbit of the story or a synopsis um, really adds to it. It kind of um, gives you a certain ex expectation, but you're left wondering how is it going to get there. Um, yeah, I really enjoy that aspect because it makes me wonder, like, okay, um... Like, thank you. Like, I'm in chapter five now. We're midway there. And I'm wondering, like, what's going to happen? And how how is this a part of the story going to end? Um, yeah, it kind of, uh, like, uh, gives you that anticipation for what's going to happen. It puts you on edge. Like, yeah, chapter nine, oh, this is the final chapter. And this is where they say that uh, the movie's going to end. And I'm like, okay, let's let's see it. <laughs> It's kind of relieving after everything that's been happening. Like, yeah, the guests uh, the guests arrive and the film ends, I think is this called? Or something like that. And it's like, just from that alone, you almost get a wave of relief. Like, okay, external force is going to come here and something's going to change. There's going to be a resolution to all this injustice I'm seeing. Yeah, so um, do we have any closing thoughts before we finish our review of Dogville? Excellent, inventive, and just an all-around joy to watch. <laughs> I really appreciated this movie. It felt... It felt nice to just lose myself in it for a while, you know? Just to really be presented with such powerful themes and to just close in on what it actually means to accept something or what it means to allow yourself to try to connect with one person but also realize that it runs the risk of becoming a very one-sided relationship 
And then also being able to forgive people just for giving into their own impulses because it's completely human, as disgusting as it is. Like, that's, that's one thing about this movie. It made me feel so repulsed in a way just towards how this small community can just completely take this wonderful person for granted and to just abuse them for just being a very nice and pure individual. And really appreciated what it had to say. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, I enjoyed talking about this movie more than I actually enjoyed watching it, I think. Um, yeah, it's just so, like, experimental, ambitious, like, I totally can appreciate, like, what they did. Um, yeah, it was, it, it took me a second, but it was fun to watch. And even though I'm questioning why I feel felt so good about that ending, I still loved it. <laughs> Even if it was wrong. What, you don't like the assassination scenes? <laughs> the bullet to the head? <laughs> Is it wrong to shoot that baby point blank? <laughs> I don't know. Or the dog surviving at the end? <laughs> the best character survived, like, right? Like, oh yeah, the people from Georgetown will find him. Like yeah. they'll, yeah. they'll find out about it soon. Though. Yeah. But Tom Edison Jr. No, fuck yeah. that guy. Yeah. <laughs> like point blank, just <laughs> boom. Moses didn't do nothing to nobody. Yeah. Yeah, I um. I don't know. It's one of those films that you can't. It's not supposed to. I don't think it's supposed to be enjoyable. Like I don't think any of the scenes, like especially the scenes that. Uh, where Grace gets abused, uh, puts to all these like uh, excruciating laborious tasks, um, being touched by this blind old man, like just feeling overall uncomfortable, <laughs> having this chain wrapped around you, just being at a discomfort, like <laughs> for that last third <laughs> of the movie. I just really felt her pain. It's just like, damn, I'm going to have neck problems for the rest of my life. Like, yeah, um, as much as that, all that stuff happened, it did amount to uh, a really good ending, I think. I think that it was, it was what was needed. And maybe it says a lot about me or some of us about what we needed. But, uh, I mean, there was a lot of crimes that happened. And how does one um, find a resolution to that? I think that that really speaks a lot to those times. I think that's why I said it reminded me of a Western because in West, you know, in those old uh, age old Westerns, you don't have a police force. You don't have budget for to send people to jail, you know, or punishment. Um, you kind of have to figure out as a community what to do about that. And I think this is, yeah, this is one of those lessons, like what's going to happen, you know, like how do you get together and solve this? Um, and I guess we kind of know what would happen if, you know, if the world goes to shit. <laughs> uh, yeah. So not, not very uh, optimistic, I'd say. But I, I still like this film. I like the craftsmanship and, and the writing and directing from Lars von Trier. I think he did a great job in... 
I liked all the photos that he had. Uh, the oh, credits. Yes, yes, we barely touched on that. Yeah. Um, uh, those seem like real photos mm-hmm. of a town. Um, I'm not sure the backstory of those photos, uh, anyone. I think it's a, it's a combination of depression era photos as well as general poverty. I think it looks like 70s and 80s. It looks like it yeah. doesn't go beyond the 90s. But it's just like the, uh, the suffering present, even in our own, you know, if we consider ourselves like a first world country and all that. And we like to think everything's swollen, people are taken care of, but there's like a whole another world that these people live in where they do suffer such, like the look in their eyes in those photos, there's a lot of, like, yeah, there's a lot of trauma or suffering in those eyes, and that's the power of them, like, I would say, for the whole credit sequence. Yeah. Along with the contrasting song, I think Young American is the title. I can't remember right now, but yeah. Oh, right. Was that one by David Bowie? Yeah. I think it was written and sung by David Bowie or something like that. Yeah, it's just some really upbeat, like, fast-paced song with these right. haunting images. Uh, for me, this film was, uh, I love the style, I love everything they did, and I love what they are saying, and uh, that's why I thoroughly enjoyed it. Even if it did hurt the watch. Like you said, Richie, it does hurt the watch, but it hurts in a good way. It hurts in the way films are supposed to hurt. And yeah, so uh, that does it for our episode uh, of Lay Film. Dogville. Um, if you're listening to this, be sure to follow us on Spotify. We'll have a link for you. And if you're listening to us on iTunes, definitely rate and review. And send in questions. We have a, a Gmail, a layfilmpodcast at gmail.com. If you want to send us questions or film recommendations, definitely um, contact us there. So, yeah, thanks for tuning in. See ya. Grace paused. And while she did, the clouds scattered and let the moonlight through. And Dogville underwent another of those little changes of light. It was as if the light previously so merciful and faint finally refused to cover up for the town any longer. Suddenly you could no longer imagine a berry that would appear one day on a gooseberry bush, but only see the thorn that was there right now. The light now penetrated every unevenness and flaw in the buildings and in the people. And all of a sudden, she knew the answer to her question all too well. If she had acted like them, she could not have defended a single one of her actions and could not have condemned them harshly enough. It was as if her sorrow and pain finally assumed their rightful place. No, what they had done was not good enough. And if one had the power to put it to rights, it was one's duty to do so, for the sake of other towns, for the sake of humanity, and not least for the sake of the human being that was Grace herself.